0: Well, listen, guys, I am super pumped. I need to actually stop and take a deep breath because I can't take a deep breath when I have my mask on because I am so excited about what God is doing in this season. I don't know if you can sense it. I don't know if you can see it. I feel like the Lord has just given me this like tiny, tiny, tiny glimpse of what it is that he is doing. But when we gather together at church on a Sunday, honestly, anything is possible. Did anybody see the sunrise this morning? Was anybody up early enough to see? It was spectacular. And I felt like it was literally just God smiling down on us, saying, anything is possible in me. Anything is possible. So grab hold of that, no matter what it is that you're going through today, no matter what you kind of came into the service today with, anything is possible. Well, we're going to continue in our Sermon on the Mount. We're talking about looking more like Jesus. And who was Jesus talking to in the Sermon on the Mount? He was talking to the crowds. He was talking to the disciples. He was talking to onlookers who were just curious about what this new kingdom that he was speaking about was all about. They they didn't necessarily believe it. They didn't necessarily buy into it. Yet, he didn't hold back one bit of what it was that he was casting vision for, for every single person. He started with something that was very challenging, if you were in our service last week, talking about what it truly means to be blessed. I know for me, I've mixed that up sometimes. I think sometimes I mix up even the word blessing with maybe what I'm thankful for, because sometimes we equate blessing with comfort. When things are going well in our life, when we have what we need, when our relationships are good, we're blessed, we're blessed, no, no. Jesus actually said, and Pastor Jason did a marvelous job last week unpacking this, that it's really all the things that bring discomfort in our life. In that place, we can stand an ultimate blessing because of our need of Jesus and what he has to provide for us. Wow. That is powerful. Well, Sarah Anderson said this quote, and I love it. It says, as soon as we suspect we have Jesus figured out, as soon as we think Jesus takes a side, as soon as we think we have Jesus boxed in, in, he disrupts our ideas the Sermon on the Mount certainly does exactly that. And I love this quote because life really doesn't fit in boxes, does it? Jesus said, I came that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. Well, you can't fit abundance into a box. Abundance goes into the box. It overflows right out of the box. It spills out everywhere. And I love this because I hate boxes. I hate the boxes that come around us in life and sort of begin to crush out the possibility of what God can do. We need to crush those boxes, those boxes that press in and want to limit what God wants to do in our life. And I believe that as we unpack this series and as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, that God has treasures for us to grab hold of, treasures for us to see in each and every part if we have the eyes to see it. So let's pray because the reality is in and of ourselves and in our own strength, we don't have eyes to see it. But the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is in us and the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us eyes to see. So Lord, we pray right now that as we go into this message that you would give us eyes to see what you are doing, even just a glimpse to be able to see the treasures that you have to unpack. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring revelation for we know that is something supernatural. That's not something we can do in our own effort. God, that is only only something that comes from your spirit. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way in our heart and our life and to bring revelation to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to unpack Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16, and it says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet Let your good works be seen by others so they can know and see that God is at work, that God is working in us and through us on the earth. Now, I love the paradoxes of scripture. Don't you love them? Jesus often speaks in these paradoxes, in these opposites, because just a few verses later, just at the beginning of the next chapter in the same sermon, Jesus says this, In Matthew six, verse one, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that that your giving may be in secret and so that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the question is, which one is it? Which one does Jesus want us to do? Does he want us to let our good works be seen so that people can see what God is doing on the earth? Or does he want us to do them in secret? So that the Father can reward us. What is the answer to this question, I ask?
1: Well, I don't know. No, but I don't. Well, for Jesus, the answer is profoundly yes. Yes. But it's understanding when to do which one. And in fact, when we don't understand to do which one, in which order, we end up in the mess that we are in as a culture today. You see, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there is something that is clear, and that is self-examination of all of our hearts and lives is vitally important. So again, whether you're here or whether you're at home, uh, today we want every single one. We're going to be emailing it out if you're on our email list, but today on the first Sunday of November, we celebrate communion. Difficult to do during COVID, but we can do it at home together, at home together but apart. Uh But part of coming to the table is, again, to remember what God has done, but also to remember one another. It is this place of self-examination because 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28 says that there are worthy ways and there are unworthy ways. It's a sobering scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we talk about every single month because there are worthy ways that we can approach God's table and there are unworthy ways that we can approach God's table. So self-examination is really important. And so again, if you're in high school, if you're college, university, or even if you're older, the question is, if we brought it into our culture, when do I post about what I post? When do I brag about what I brag about? When do I share? When do I give testimony? When do I tell my story? How do I tell my story? For Jesus, for apprentices, For us as followers of Jesus, apprentices, learning the way of Jesus, this is actually very, very critical for us to look at because culture has a completely different way of talking about this than the scripture does, than Jesus does. See, in being apprenticed of Jesus, there is a singular challenge that Jesus spoke against over and over again. And we would use the word an actor or an actress. Uh, In Greek, the word is a hypocrite. And so everywhere you see in the New Testament, Jesus looking at the Pharisees saying, you hypocrite. What he's essentially saying is stop playing a part. You're just spouting lines. You're not actually the character that you claim to be. He's calling them an actor. They're just going through the motions. They are just Christian in name only. I I modernize that, obviously. They were Pharisee in name only. And here's what's true. You do not have to ascribe to any religion to be religious. There is the religion, if you look at the Pew Research, whatever it happens to be, you can see it all across the board. In the last 23 years, 63 million millennials have left the church in North America. That should get a hold of your heart. But here's what's true, again, is you don't have to be religious to be an actor, to be a Pharisee to be a hypocrite. Replacement religion is booming in Canada. People may have walked out of church, but we are just creating other environments where, again, that are equally pious, equally religious. David Zoll, I've used his quote before, says, we may be sleeping in on Sunday mornings. Not you. Not every one of you are joining online. Thank you. Thank you. We may be sleeping in on Sunday mornings in greater numbers, but we have never been more pious. We have never been more self-righteous with one another. Religious observance hasn't faded apace. Secularization as much as migrated, and we've got the anxiety to prove it. We are seldom not in church, so to speak. Let me say it again. This whole year, and as as the expression goes, let me say it for the people in the back. This whole year is not the world would be better if everyone was more like me. That is not what we're diving into. What we are wholeheartedly diving into is this rooted hope in each of us being more like Jesus. And when each of us can become more like Jesus, then there's a hope. My hope isn't rooted in just a what tomorrow could be. The Christian hope is not rooted in just this fantasy and desire for a different day. No, the Christian hope is rooted in the resurrection that even though everything was impossible in Christ, all things, It's anchored in a historical event, a historical person in the name of Jesus Christ, which gives us hope in spite of any circumstance. And so let's look a little closer at what Jesus meant about being salt and light and answer the question, which one is it? Do I you know, just braggadociously talk about everything that God is doing. When do I do it in secret? And when do I share it and post it? Lori?
0: So good. All right. So verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I love the very first two words of this verse. You are... Jesus always speaks to our identity. He always calls out of us who we really are. Now, I want you to remember, who is he talking to here? He's talking to the crowds. He's talking to people who don't even yet believe in him. How can he say, you are? Are the salt of the earth as if they already are something that they're not. Well, the reason he can do that is because they were created in the image of God. This is their destiny. This is our destiny. This is our calling, our identity. And he speaks to that identity and calls it by faith as though it is, even though it has yet to be. That is a powerful, powerful way that God always speaks over us. But then he says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? Salt has a couple of different functions. In this text, it can add flavor or preserve. Yet, if it carries the name salt, yet is not salty, it's actually worthless. That's a really strong word. That's a, 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 something none of us want to be called. But really, what it means is it's useless. It, it It's devoid of the actual purpose it was intended for. And so salt has to get into the inside of us in order for us to actually be the salt that we're called to be. So having no salt, having no saltiness, is like saying something just to look good saying something just so that people will think or believe you are something that maybe you're not really in your heart. It's just what Jason was talking about. It's an act. It's for appearances. It's Christian in name only, but the truth is we don't actually look or live like Jesus. That's when salt has lost its saltiness. Now, salt is only good and effective in the right dose, right? How many like a little salt on their food, a little salt on their french fries? You can give me a wave in the chat. You can put a little hand up in the chat. Listen, I love me some salt on my french fries. Even though they come salted, I'm, I'm adding a little more salt. I love some salt, but too much salt, Make something actually completely inedible. I remember one time uh, my son Treff and Jason—I I don't even know. This is so random because I think it's the only time you've ever baked together. But Jason and Treff decided to bake a cheesecake together, and I don't know where I was. I'm usually the baker in the house, but I—I I wasn't there. And they mixed up the amount of salt that was supposed to go. We up mixed the up
1: the sugar and the salt
0: so they misread the amounts and not being bakers they they wouldn't have necessarily noticed that that was wrong they had nothing to compare it to so we all, they baked this beautiful cheesecake it looked beautiful i mean it was it was perfect we brought it out on the table we uh, you know had eaten our dinner we'd all taken a slice on our plates and we were so excited to dive into this cheesecake which is my son trap's favorite dessert and we all dig in and take a bite and we're all oh my gosh. Like the salt, so overpowered and completely ruined the cheesecake. You cannot have too much salt. It actually ruins what it is that it's meant for, which is so interesting too. We have this kind of family joke too when the kids were little, the movie Ice Age. Anybody, any parents out there? I'm sure you guys were up early this morning with the time change. I'm so sorry. Maybe you're not even up. Um, but uh, Ice Age, and there's this little character called Sid the Sloth and he talked like this and you and, can't do that
1: during COVID because you'll spit all over But oh, it's okay, oh, okay for I'm you behind, and I I'm and, yeah screen. I know totally but
0: um <laughs> anyways he's dying of thirst they're on this boat and so he takes a big scoop of the ocean water <laughs> and takes a big sip and he puckers his lips and goes, oh salt, salty like it's just so funny too much salt too much salt does not work and how ironic how ironic that literally we could be dying of thirst and surrounded by a body of water. But because it's too salty, it cannot do what it's meant to do. It's actually harmful. And we can be like that. We can actually be too salty. We can actually be too much. We can actually bring too much. Remember, salt is supposed to enhance what already is. Think about this picture, even in the body of Christ, that salt is supposed to come under something, get into something and make it better. The thing that already is, just make it better, make it more flavorful. It's not supposed to overpower. If it overpowers it, it actually ruins it. And so again, as believers and as salt, we have to be careful also not to be too salty, not to be too salty. I know Jay gets a little salty when uh, sometimes uh, in the house when (laughs) <laughs> like in the morning, if I if I take his kettle water and I fill the Keurig up with it, and then when he comes down, the kettle water is empty and he has to refill the kettle. He gets a little salty sometimes about that. Well, it's rude. Yeah. So, so you know, we can be a little salty, right, when things salty. don't go our way. Yes,
1: I can. I confess. I can be salty. I do want to quickly point out here while you're doing that there yeah. that two stories here have me uh, 0 for 2. But that's great. Just keep going. <laughs> This is payback. It's good. I, I receive it wholeheartedly. Thank you. Bless you.
0: Oh no. Oh no. Jay's too salty. Okay.
1: That was a definition he's being of being a little
0: salty right now. Absolutely yeah, salty. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe I won't. Sh- I won't share that one in the next service. All right. You can. <laughs> salt operates internally, okay? It has to get on the inside of us. And I think, so what it is addressing is the motives of our heart. And that's what's really important. And I think it's actually a um, a deception tactic of the enemy to make us underestimate the importance of what's going on in the heart. Because if the enemy can get us in the position of performing, if he can keep us in performing and not transforming, he knows our effectiveness as salt in the world is complete is rendered completely ineffective. He knows that. And so if he can keep us in this posture of performance rather than transforming, rather than actually taking a look at what's really going on in the heart space and dealing with the true motives of our heart, he knows we will be ineffective as salt in the world. And so I think that this really, really matters. We see Jesus addressing this all the time. We see Jesus who who literally said, it's not just the act of adultery. It's that if you've even thought about it, you've done it. Jesus is constantly going to the heart. He's saying it's not just about the external actions. It's not about your morality and how moral you appear. It's about what is going on in the heart space. What is going on in the thought space? You see sin begins in our heart. The very same spirit that makes us commit adultery is the very same spirit that makes the thought come into our heart, the thought come into our mind. It's the same thing. So Jesus is saying, deal with it here so that, again, what is on the outside is the same as what is on the inside, and you can truly be salt. You can truly be salt. Now, if we've lost our saltiness, If we have wrong motives, which we do, listen, we're all just going to get into this. We do. We do. We have to come before the Lord and we have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what the true motives of our heart are. The Bible says our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? We don't even know our own heart. We can't trust our heart and our emotions. We need to bring them before the Lord and we need to say, God, would you test my heart? Would you purify my heart? Would you expose the true motives of my heart so I can truly be salt in the world? It matters it matters it matters it matters now what did the scripture say it said that when salt loses its saltiness it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet we have to deal with what is going on in our heart we have to expose the places of our heart that make us ineffective in our faith because and listen to this church there's only one kind of trampling that God spoke to us, that Jesus himself spoke to us that we are called to, and it is not to be trampled underfoot because of our ineffectiveness. It is, in fact, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the works of the enemy. Do you see how the enemy works? Do you see what he does? He wants to render us ineffective, so we're the ones trampled. No, Jesus said, Jesus said, I have given you all authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. They're supposed to be under your feet. All the power, all the works of the enemy are under our feet because of the authority we have in Christ Jesus. That is your identity. We're called to crush snakes. I want everyone to just go like this, right right in your seat, online. Go like this. This is crushing snakes. We're called to crush the snakes. They're not supposed to trample us. We're supposed to trample them. You see, when Jesus spoke, he often spoke of small things, and he said the small things matter. The small things make the biggest difference. Salt is small. Salt is really, really small. In comparison to the very thing we're adding salt to, salt is very small, but these things matter. In Matthew 13, 31, and 32, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, so small. Small that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Small things are big things to God. We have to deal with the little foxes. We have to deal with the small things because small things are big things in the kingdom. Jesus said, if you're faithful with a little, I will entrust you with much. These are the small things we have to deal with so that God can entrust us with much, so that we can be salt, and then we can be light.
1: It's beautiful. And so Jesus, what he essentially says to us, right, is that there are certain things in our lives, like maybe prayer or generosity or other things that are just between us and the Father as God is working, as he's bringing transformation on the inside of our hearts, that there's a space that only the Father rewards those things. But now he switches the metaphor, and here's what he says in Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. Once again, the same thing that Pastor Laurie just shared. starts with the declaration of identity. You are the light of the world a city on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house if you're in the chat or you everyone here you can just under your you know you're under your mask just say all in chat you can just type all okay it gives light to all in the house in the same way jesus said in the same way let your light shine before others so they may see your good works, so they may see what you're doing, so they may see how you're living your life, what you're doing, you know, all the words that you're using, all the life examples, everything you're doing, that people can actually see it. And when they see it, here's the choice that you and I have as followers of Christ. And here's part of what Jesus is driving at. When people see what you do, does it it reflect and glorify you? Or do you have a plan to glorify God? Before you share whatever you share publicly, before you testify, before you engage a moment before you bring a spotlight onto yourself do you have a plan of how am I going to use this if anyone notices to give God glory because here's what he says in this text when we are the light of the world people see how how we're living and who we are so there's a light that comes and there's a way that people can see it and then in that moment give glory to your father who is in heaven so even the smallest fractal of light Dispels darkness. If you want to drive out darkness, don't curse the darkness. Light a light. Dr. Martin Luther King said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. What Jesus taught here is powerful. He said this that the light remains whether it is covered or exposed. Yet, if it is covered under a basket, what happens? Jesus said it very simply and plainly. If you light a light and you cover it under a basket, again, if it's a large basket, then it gives light only to those who are under the basket. But it stops being something that's a benefit to all of those who are around them. In other words, it's only a benefit to those who are under the light, but yet it was designed not only to be lit, but to be placed and positioned so that it can actually give common grace and common light and common preservative all around the world. How many of you know that there are good people who don't know Jesus? There are wonderfully generous people who don't know Jesus. All right, some followers of Christ are not good examples of Christ. Okay? Some people, there's wonderful, in the world in which we live in, it is not devoid of God's goodness. Psalm 24, we'll say it again. We said it last week, the week before. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There is common grace every which way and everywhere. There's common light, there's common grace, there's all those things. But here's what Jesus was saying in this text specifically. You're the light of of the world, So salt, as Pastor Laurie said, is small. It gets into something. It's meant to preserve. It's meant to enhance flavor. But here is something that's absolutely clear. That light is meant to be not just for your benefit, but for the benefit of all of those around you that again, as your life on the inside is transformed, as Laurie, Pastor Lori used an expression a moment ago looking at whether it's adultery and lust and so as each and every one of us, male and female, are set free from lust and we begin to see each other as the Imago Dei, so others in your workplace may see men or say may see women or whomever it is, they may see through a lustful spirit, but as you are set free and you honor and you respect and you have dignity, this begins to bring light and shine light in the midst of darkness. If everybody in your workplace is absolutely you know, just absolutely critical and tearing down all issues of authority. It doesn't mean that you may not have the same problems with authority, but how you address those, how you engage those in completely different. And in that moment, it's not that you walk into work saying, I'm better than everybody else, but I'm living for a different king in a different kingdom. And how you engage these subjects brings light. It begins to let light shine in the midst of darkness. And so when this happens, here's what Jesus says. The moment light begins to shine in the darkness, everyone who's in the darkness is gonna rush to you and say, tell me what I must do to be saved. No, that's not what Jesus said. In fact, in John chapter three, verses 20 to 21, here's what he said. Not everybody enjoys when light shows up. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. At least his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. Whoever does what is true comes to the light. So you and I, even in this text, Jesus is saying, I want you to draw near to it, even though everything on the inside of you may be shame or whatever it happens to be, is like, no, I just want to stay in the shadows over here. No, no, no. Begin to come to the light so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God. So to Jesus we are to be both salt and we are to be both light. And this helps us answer the question that we're looking at today. Do I let others see my good works or do I live in secret? Just so my father can see it. And again, for Jesus, the answer to these questions is profoundly yes. It's both and. It's not either or. So here's what Jesus taught us. If the action, if the post on social media, if the story that you're going to tell is for your sole benefit and it'll only increase your glory, keep it hidden. I'm going to say it again. If the action, if the post is the story is for your sole benefit, will only increase your glory, keep it hidden. I, like you, was on social media this summer as social unrest, you know, just emerged necessarily all over the world. And as social unrest emerged all over the world, there were good men and women who engaged it with their whole heart. There were followers of Jesus with gospel narratives who engaged it with their whole heart and continue to engage it with their whole heart. And there were also, if you, I don't know if you saw it, I did, but there were social media influencers who would show up to the protests, who would show up all around the world as actors and hypocrites, and they would have someone take a photo of them in the moment so that they could post, here I am, and then they would hop in their car and drive away. This is the thing that Jesus was saying. This is what our culture does. This is the sickness that our culture engages. Literally, as people all around the world are crying out in their deepest, most profound Pain. There are other people who want to capitalize on the pain of others for likes. That is the sickness of our culture. And again, every post that we think, man, oh man, this may be profiting me, but it's making the collective sicker. So Jesus says, on an individual, we're salt, but he also says, that we're called to be light. And so, again, if the action, the post, or the story is for your sole benefit, will increase just your glory. Keep it hidden. Let your father reward you as he sees fit. This could apply to generosity, to prayer, to fasting. God asks you to do something, to sow and to bless someone else. It may be not to be posted anywhere. It's to remain private and let your father do what your father desires to do with it. When God is working in you or you're tempted to make yourself look good, Gain the approval of other people. Again, whether it be in, per, in person, on social media, be salt. Season a situation, help preserve a relationship, but let the reward just come between you and the Father. I was in a life group a number of, number of months ago now, and pre-COVID, and I remember sharing a story. And at the end of the story, it made, in my own heart, it made me look good. And it was a true story, and I felt good about it. And as I was driving home and, you know, Laura and I were chatting through things and I went to get in bed, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit that that was a secret story. But in a moment, I shared it trying to gain approval, but here's what I didn't do in the moment. I had no plan, how does that give glory to God? I just absorbed the glory, because here's what's true. You and I can be glory absorbers. We can absorb the glory, or we can deflect God's glory and give it back to him. And we can share with our hearts and lives, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. In the act, in the post that you're going to put on social media, in the story that you're going to tell, if it's for the benefit of others, though, and it will increase God's glory, don't hide it. Don't hide it. Let it shine. All I'm saying is, before going public, have a plan for how God is going to get the glory. Why does this matter? Because when we get this mixed up, instead of growing in humility, in likeness, we end up growing in pride and in self-righteousness, which only adds to the mess and the collective mess of the way in which we find ourselves in the world today. The goal isn't to be known as Christians. Let me say it again. The goal isn't to be known. The goal is to make Jesus known. It's not that I'm known, I've said this a thousand times and I'll say it a thousand times before my life is over. There is only one name that is gonna echo through the hallway of heaven. And it's not my name, it's not your name, it's no sports team, it's no name of any church. There's only one name above any of every other name and it is the name of Jesus. And so for you and I, we have to get used to understanding that he's the hero of the story We are the supporting actors and actresses in this plot. That we're not the main characters as followers of Christ, even in our own lives. That we die to that so that he can receive the glory he deserves. Sky Jathani says this, like salt we have the defensive responsibility to prevent evil, to slow or stop the decay of injustice. As followers of Christ, as apprentices of Jesus, like salt, we have the defensive responsibility to prevent evil, to slow or stop the decay of injustice. But like light, we have the offensive responsibility to spread truth, goodness, and beauty, to advance the qualities of God's kingdom. Some of you saying, I just want to let my little light shine. I just want to let my little light shine. I just want to let my little light shine. Jesus let his little light shine, and he used words to articulate the gospel. You and I must use words with people to articulate the gospel. If you're a boss and you're generous, you have an opportunity for all of your employees to celebrate your generosity or you have an opportunity as a boss to begin to articulate who's the true source of your generosity because Jesus forgave me an an unforgivable debt. He's the source of my generosity. He's the source of what he's done for me. For some of you, people say, man, how are you so loving? How are you so compassionate? Do you have a way to talk about when your light shines that other people notice? Do you have a way to talk about, to share, to engage? Here's why I do what I do. Here's why I see the world the way I see the world. Here's why I'm compassionate. When people come along and they come alongside of you, you go, man, how are you so smart? I've never had that happen in my life. But I'm saying for some of you, people come along and say, how are you How are you so intelligent? How are you so brilliant? Do you point back to a God who is so, so magnificent in terms of creator? Or do you just absorb all the glory for yourself? You see, we are called to be salt and we're called to be life. Light, sorry. So today we should apply this personally. But as I close and together as we close, we also need to consider this corporately are you going? Just a little joke. Just a little joke. It was just a little joke. We got left at the altar. <laughs> Not the first time. Won't be the last. But, you know, we should apply this message personally, you know, because that's the heart of it. Salt is internal. But we should also apply it corporately because Jesus said that light gives light to everyone in the house. And here's what I want to say today on this first Sunday in November. Not only do we want you some point today, whether, you, you know, in the privacy of your own home to celebrate communion, to remember the work that Jesus has done and then together we as his body be, be remembered one to another under his table. But we also want you to understand that we have 200. I you mean, this is staggering and you're not gonna see it on the media because it doesn't fit the narrative. I'm not yammering about fake news here. I'm just literally saying it doesn't fit the narrative. We have 260 million reasons to pray today. Where do you get that from? In the world today, there are 260 million persecuted followers of Jesus who are being persecuted not because of their political affiliation or the ignorance with which they speak, or the behavior of their life. They are simply being persecuted because they are salt and light in nations where it is not free or safe to be salt or light. It's 260 million followers of Christians in predominantly 73 nations, 260 million reasons, where they today, some will lose their life simply because of the name of Jesus is stamped on their hearts. They're living not for earth, but for eternity. And so I want to close in prayer that we would be salt, that we would be light. I want us to pray for Quebec City. That last night there was, I don't know if you saw the news today, but in Quebec City there was a murder stabbing. Of I saw two people had passed away, five injured. I'm not sure what the update is now. But we also need to pray for France that is experiencing not just unrest, but once again, acts of terror. There are people who went simply to mass to pray and lost their lives this week. And then again, there are 260 million followers of Jesus who we are remembering Jesus but they are also part of the body of Christ that we are remembered with. We in North America are experiencing pressure, but we're not experiencing persecution. We are experiencing pressure, and pressure can increase, I understand. But all around the world, there are brothers and sisters in the faith who are experiencing persecution. And so together, let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we pray for our individual hearts and lives. Lord, help us to be salt. Help us to be light in the midst of a world that needs to be preserved, in a world that which needs the flavor of the gospel. Lord, help us to be light in the midst of darkness. Together we pray for the loss of life in Quebec City. We pray for the loss of life in France. And we pray 260 million prayers for individuals who are in prison cells, house arrest, experiencing intense persecution simply because they have decided to follow Jesus. And for them, there's no turning back. And so, Holy Spirit, we lift them up. Their collective prayer is always simply and profoundly, would you just remember us? And so, Father, we remember them, and we ask you to move in a profound way in their hearts and in their lives. Jesus, we pray for our world. that seems that it's coming apart at the seams. Lord, we know the enemy's moving, but we will not give him one ounce more credit, because we also know that you are moving, that there are things, Lord, that you are exposing in this season, whether it be collective injustice. And many of us don't want to get close to that light. But Father, it is if it's a light that you are exposing, may we as followers of Jesus have no fear of the light that we are called to approach so that if and where there is darkness in us, Father, it can be transformed into light. And so whether that's an individual life, a marriage, a relationship, a family, a neighborhood, a city, a nation, or a world. Jesus, have your way and make us more like you. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.